This passage then is, is dealing with how we should properly respond to the gospel. What we've had from last week's message were, were these verses, every one of them almost pure gold, so important that talks about how God has presented to us Christ as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And this is the wonderful hope that is presented to every single one of us, as Russell has just said, that despite the terrible predicament that he has built up in this case that he's been working out against all of humanity, there, there is something that can meet that need. And that is in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, which deals with the wrath of God uh, and allows us, when we trust in Christ, to be forgiven. So that has been presented to us. And now we're asked, how should we now respond? What is the right way to respond to what God has done in Christ? Well, it's at this point that he introduces the whole issue in verse 27 about boasting. Boasting. Now, boasting, as we know, is not the most attractive of characteristics, not the most appealing of things to, to hear. Somebody say, I'm better than you. I've got more stuff than you. I can jump higher. My dad can do better things than your dad can do. Whatever form that might take, boasting is not something that's particularly appealing. And as we know, often it kind of camouflages a fair degree of insecurity that people may well have. But what he's doing here is he's highlighting a particular type of boasting. It's spiritual pride. Spiritual pride. Now, we might think that that is surprising that this should be t- uh, highlighted here because, I mean, he's really hammered time and time again the point about how far short we all have fallen from God's standard. And you would have thought that point would have been riveted in and there wouldn't have been any doubt about it at all. But such is the deceptiveness and the condition of the human heart And it's important that we make that point. Such is the condition of our heart that we still retain an element of spiritual pride. And there is the likelihood, as these Jewish people were demonstrating, that they still hark back to their heritage, their background, their privileges, everything that they had, and they felt that because of that, that faith by itself was in fact not the appropriate response. They had been given a law by God. And and the truth of it was they actually had misunderstood the point about the law. The law is something that is good because what the law does is it actually reveals what God's character and God's qualities are. God gave the law. But the law is not adequate to deal with my problem. If you bring the law and you bring a human being together, what the law actually does is the law highlights my problem. Uh, There's an example in chapter 7 when Paul talks about himself and a particular uh, commandment, the command of covetousness. You know, you you shouldn't covet anything that that your neighbor has. And, And Paul said, I read that, I thought about it, 
And the problem was that it just seemed to stimulate and inflame covetousness within me. And, and that is because of the problem that is part of my, my fallen nature before God. And the law, good as it is, is completely unable to bring about my salvation or to bring me to God and to give to me a right standing before God. Something else is required. But these people, they were hanging on to that and, and their privileges, and they still retained their belief. So you have this dilemma, and he has to address this now. Paul understood that because it had been part of his own upbringing as well. Uh, if you were to read Philippians chapter 3, when Paul recounted all his own heritage and pedigree and background, he was from the tribe of Benjamin, um, he was uh, a Pharisee, uh, he was, uh, as far as his contemporaries were concerned, he was streets ahead of them, and uh, he, he could puff out his chest, and he could boast and all of that kind of stuff, but there came a point when he met Christ, and he understood the gospel, and he said, you know, everything that seemed to be to my advantage, everything that seemed to be in my plus column, I actually now consider that absolutely nothing at all, just rubbish. Because I see that the value of Christ, the surpassing glory of Christ, that outweighs all of that. Jesus taught this too. He taught about the, the Pharisee and the tax collector who went up to pray in the temple. And the Pharisee prayed with himself, I thank thee I'm not like all these other men are. And I do this and I do that and all the next. And sometimes, as the Sunday school teacher taught the children... Aren't we glad, children, that we are not like the Pharisee? <laughs> and it basically is just the same sort of problem that comes up within our own hearts and lives at times, if we're honest about it. Spiritual pride. The feeling that I can bring something to the party. Now, we know that in the natural world, as far as uh, some conditions that people sadly find themselves in, that... If you've got a, an addiction, if you've got a problem with drugs or alcohol or whatever, and you speak to somebody and uh, they say, you know, what I would really like and what, what I see happening is that, for instance, uh, I, I would like to be able to, to socially drink. I know this has all been a big problem for me and uh, I appreciate what it's doing to myself and to my family and all the rest of it, but... I think to some degree I can handle this and I see myself being able to function in a particular setting. You know very well when people are talking like this, they haven't got it and it's never going to work. If they still feel as though there is something that is there, it's never going to work. They have to come to the point of feeling, I can do nothing here, uh, I've hit rock bottom and all I need to do is ask for help. And that is exactly what we're talking about in a spiritual sense. That, that we've hit rock bottom. And, and their boasting is excluded. That's what he says here. Boasting, the whole concept is, is completely excluded when it comes to this point of salvation. And he says, and, and what excludes it? When he talks about in verse 27, by what kind of law? He's not talking about the law of Moses or the law of God there. He's talking about a principle. What mechanism, what principle excludes 
this whole issue of spiritual pride and spiritual boasting. Well, what excludes it is this, that um, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. There is a principle, and the, and the, the spiritual principle is that it is faith. It is not works that justifies a person. Now again, we know this all holds good, this idea of, of, of laws in a, in a natural sense. We know that there are laws of nature. We know that there is the law of gravity. Um, and, uh, I was reminded again of that, uh, extract from, uh, Toy Story. You know, Buzz Lightyear, the, the space ranger who claims that he can fly and Woody says he can't. And, uh, he jumps and his wings pop out and he bounces off a ball and he gets wrapped up in a bit of string around the light and whirls round and uh, he manages to fall on the bed again and he says, I, I, I can fly. And uh, of course, he's, he's reminded, you weren't flying, you, you, were, you were falling with style. And uh, you know, that's what all of us, spiritually speaking, have to be reminded about. We, we, we think we can fly. And, and it might be with style at times, but we're still falling. Falling with style, maybe is the phrase that characterizes a lot of our generation. There are spiritual laws. And the spiritual law that takes us to God is the law of faith. It's the law of faith. It's not the law of my contribution or my works. Not at all. What is faith? Faith rejects my own goodness. Faith turns me to Christ. Turns me to Christ and his death. Faith has no confidence in myself, but every confidence in the Lord Jesus to save me. Faith trusts completely in him and in what he has done. I mean, that's the whole point of the book of Romans. Remember way back in chapter 1 when he said that the gospel that I'm not ashamed of is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. That was true in Acts chapter 2, as Russell was reminding us. He says there that the gospel... It is from faith to faith. It's, it, it's, it's by faith from first to last. That is the key component as far as a response is concerned to the gospel of Christ. It has to be by faith in what Christ has done. And so we hear these famous words, just one particular example, taken from everything that Scripture says about this, about God loving the world, about giving his son, that whoever believes in him. As far as again this morning, just to, just to reflect on all of that, again to think of God presenting his son as a demonstration of his love, about visualizing the cross at Calvary and the son of God giving his life for me, about his blood that was shed to pay the price for my sin. It's about the fact that Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission 
for sin at all. There can be no forgiveness apart from that. This one act, when Christ gives himself upon the cross, where God presents him as the the sacrifice of atonement, that I come to him and I believe in that. I believe that this is the pardon for my sin. And I, I don't trust in myself, but I trust in him alone. Let me quote to you that well-known hymn. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast save in the cross of Christ my God all the vain things that charm me most. I sacrifice them to his blood. So, what does the, the death of Christ really mean? What does it mean to boast in Christ's death? That, that is where boasting is appropriate. That's what Paul said in another place. God forbid that I should boast, that I should glory, except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is something we can boast in. What does it mean to boast in the death of Christ, that wonderful cross? It's because it completely meets my need. It proves that God does love me. It matters that, it means that no matter how bad I am or what I have done, that I can be forgiven, that that is sufficient. It levels out the playing field. Yes, all are sinners at the foot of the cross, but all can be pardoned because of what Christ has done. There is not a two-tier system. It is for all to come there. And I don't need to be good enough. And I don't need to clean up my act. And I don't need to reform myself, first of all. The hymn that was pretty consistent at the end of most of Billy Graham's uh, crusades sums it up in many ways, doesn't it? When you come to Christ just As I am, without any plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. And so this is the big point of response that he's making. Now what he does at this stage is he brings two men forward as as examples of this, important men. Chapter 4, we have Abraham, Abraham the father of the Jewish nation. And then secondly, David, their greatest king. The Jew is not convinced at this point about about this uh, concept that is being uh, explained here by by Paul. And so he brings these two great men in uh, as illustrations of it. Um, And he's showing that both of these men were justified by faith and not by works. Now, if you want to get the actual background to it, as far as Abraham is concerned, you you would find that in Genesis chapter 15. And what what you have there is this. He's asking the the question, of course, does Abraham have uh, a reason to boast before God? I mean, he he was a great man. Look at his... Look at his uh, pedigree as the, the father of the nation. 
Does he have anything to boast about because of that? Well, let's look at this passage. So God speaks to Abraham on this occasion, and he says to him, Abraham, I'm your shield. I'm your, I'm your exceeding great reward. I'm going to make a great, a great nation out of you. And Abraham's scratching his head. And he says, how, how, how can there be a great nation that comes from me? I'm, I'm childless. I think if that's going to be the case, then my servant here, the man who's in charge of my household, Eliezer from Damascus, it, I suppose it will have to be through him. God says, come on outside and, and look, up at the, look up at the night sky. You think you can count these stars up there? Look at the host of heaven. It's going to be the case, Abraham, that from you, your, uh, your seed will be as vast as that. And what did Abraham say? What was the response? I don't think so. I don't think that's going to happen. Not at all. Abraham believed. He believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, if you go down towards the end of chapter 4, our chapter here, you'll see some of the thought processes are described that were in Abraham's head at the time. Process number one, he looked at himself, and he was about 100 years of age. I'm going to have a child. He looked at his wife, Sarah, long past the natural years of childbearing, And he looked at her. And his second process was, God has spoken to me. And what God has promised, he is able to perform. And despite, naturally speaking, the impossibility of the situation, And the fact that he could do nothing about it. It was a brick wall as far as what Abraham and Sarah were able to contribute to what was going to happen. Miraculously, God's promise in an impossible situation, Abraham believed. He was strong in faith that what God said, he was able to perform. And because of that, Abraham's faith was credited counted towards him as righteousness. Now, now this is the example for all of us. You know, and, and we need to get to this point of saying, this is a hopeless situation. I, I can't get right with God. I cannot be pardoned. I cannot do anything. I can't produce anything. It's impossible. I'm dead. But God has said something. And God has said that if I have faith in Christ and in his blood, and if I take the free gift that he extends to me, the gift of his grace, the gift of his forgiveness, the gift of his righteousness, if I believe in that, it will be credited to me also as righteousness. And that's what God does, the ledger of our lives with everything in the debit column, all the sins, all the problems, all the, all the failings, all the failures, all the disappointments, God credits all that to Christ, and he becomes accountable for that at the cross when he dies. But all the righteousness of Christ, he transfers to my account. 
And that's, that's the wonder of it. Forgiveness is not just the fact that my sin is cancelled. I mean, that would be good enough if it was just neutralized and wiped out. But it's much, much, much more than that. It's, it includes that, but it is having all the positive righteousness of Christ placed in your account. Counted towards you, credited to you. So that when Christ, when God looks upon the believer in Christ, he sees them as being in Christ, clothed in his righteousness as Christ himself. That's the wonderful thing of the gospel. And that's why Abraham is brought here as an example of. Second illustration is David, King David. Now, if you want to get this one, you you turn to Psalm 32, because that's where the quotation is taken from. And here is David in Psalm 32, and he's describing himself in the third verse of that psalm is, he describes himself as his bones wasting away. That's pretty significant. I mean, you, you understand when somebody's flesh wastes away. But to actually describe your bones wasting away and, and groaning all day long. Now, what, what is going on here? Well, why is he writing like this? This, this is, this is um, something that was written probably about a year or so after David committed adultery with, with Bathsheba. You know the, the, the story. And, and of course, it wasn't just that. It was, it was the deceptiveness of it all. Uh, he hid it. And uh, he, he actually contrived to manipulate the murder of her husband. And he, he kept quiet about all of this for about a year. He, he thought he'd pulled it all off. And, and what, what this psalm is describing is his experience during that year of silence when, when he didn't mention this to anybody until God's man came and, uh, and, and uh, accounted him for it. And it says here that when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And then he says, I acknowledged my sin. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. When Nathan the prophet came in and said, David, we, we, we know about this. God, God knows about this. And it hit him like a ton of bricks. And of course, he had to confess it. And he had to admit it. But when he does that, what he says at the start of the psalm and what is quoted for us here is, what a relief. Oh, the blessedness. Oh, the joy of the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Oh, oh the blessedness of the one against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. This is what faith does. This is what faith in Christ results in. It results not in your bones decaying. And a, a feeling of burden and trouble and decay in your life. 
but joy and blessedness as you turn to Christ and you know that in his cross there is everything that is required to meet your, your need. And it covers your sin. It gives you the blessedness of knowing that my sin, oh, the bliss of that wonderful thought, my sin, not a part but the whole, is nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Bless the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh, my soul. Here is the blessedness of the person who experiences receiving the gift of God through Christ. Pardon for their sins. Pardon for their secret shame. And of course the question that comes to all of us is this. Have we experienced that kind of blessedness of knowing that our sins are covered and that they are forgiven? They are forgiven. The message to us is don't keep silent, but confess them, admit them to God, take them to Christ, Christ who has been presented as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So, faith is the only response. Faith is the right response. To, to the gospel of Christ. It is only this that gives us a right standing. It's boasting in Christ and in his atoning sacrifice. It's like that hymn that we sang right at the start for us to be able to really take that on board. My faith rests firm on Jesus Christ. He is my only plea. Though all the world should point and scorn his ransom. His ransom is what sets me free. My, my, my faith rests strong on Jesus Christ. Now, we can take that to our own hearts personally today if we've never done that before. We can reaffirm that as believers in Christ again today and be reminded again of the wonder of the gospel and allow that just to soak into our souls we can go out this week into our places of work, back to where we live and all the rest of it, with confidence in this message to try and share that with friends and neighbors, the gospel of Christ, and to be clear that the only way to respond to that is by faith. I was just reading this week about the very last invitation that is written in the Bible, the last chapter of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Is, is an invitation that is given out. And it says, The Spirit of God and the Bride, that is the Church of God, what do they say? They say, Come. Let those who are thirsty, let them come. And let them freely receive of the water of life. That's what Christ says to all of us today. Come. Come. Come to me. I'll give you rest. I'll pardon your sins. I'll give you my righteousness. I'll give you blessedness. But you have to come. And the way we come is by faith in Christ alone. Now shall we pray. Lord, thank you for the gospel of Christ, that wonderful, wonderful act when the Lord Jesus, who loved us, gave himself for us 
at the cross of Calvary. Lord, help us to look to Christ. Help us to see that overwhelming demonstration of your love that deals with our greatest need. And help us to abandon our spiritual pride and our boasting and to respond only with faith in him. So, Lord, we ask a blessing upon your word to all our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.